Welcome back to the Core EM Podcast. Core content for anyone, anywhere, and just in time. This is the official podcast of the NYU Bellevue EM Residency Program. I'm Anand Swami Nathan. And I'm Jenny Beck Esme. So Jenny, what do we got on tap for this week? This week, one of our soon-to-be senior residents, Heidi Schur, discussed anaphylaxis in conference. So I thought we would talk about that. This is one of my favorite topics. So I am very happy to talk about this. It is acute onset, life-threatening, and what we do in the first couple of minutes can fix the patient if we do it right, or the patient can die. It is true emergency medicine. It's bread and butter, but it really represents our specialty. I couldn't agree more. I love anaphylaxis. There are lots of triggers for anaphylaxis, but some of the most common include eggs, peanuts, bee stings, and shellfish. And let's not forget some of the really strange causes like exercise-induced anaphylaxis, which I've got to say I saw once and I didn't believe it was real. I didn't believe it was real. I was like, what is happening right now? And then I looked it up and I was like, oh, yeah, that's a thing. That's a real thing. Didn't learn about that in med school, but that's a thing. (laughs) And then even beer anaphylaxis. Yeah, I don't think I could live with either of those last two. Honestly... Eggs, peanuts, shellfish, those are like some of my favorite things. If if there was a song and sound of music for me, those would be (laughs) my favorite things. Eggs, peanuts, shellfish, exercise, and beer. Um, Yeah, that sounds pretty good. It's going to be tough. I'll take the bee bee stings. I can do without bee stings. I can do without the bee stings, sure, absolutely. I'm actually a little bit worried that I could be allergic to bee stings because I think I've been stung by a bee once as a child and not ever again. But the next one's the one that's going to do me in. I don't know. I could have an anaphylactic allergy to bee stings. It definitely is. And, you know, that brings up sort of part of this, right? So anaphylaxis, you usually get exposed to something and you have like a minor reaction. It's the re-exposure where your body kind of goes out of whack. Yeah. Okay. So let's get back to talking about what this is. So let's start with a little definition. Anaphylaxis is defined by the allergy and immunology specialty. All right. I'm going to have to stop you just a little <laughs> bit here. So before we even start discussing that, I, I got to say that the definitions that are laid out by al- allergy and immunology, they're probably the right definitions, but I don't know if they're what we're going to be focused on in the emergency department. And, you know, I talked about this a while back on MRAP and Ruben Strayer had sort of a critique that we were overcomplicating things. Thinking about all of these other parts of anaphylaxis is probably unnecessary. I know you have to know them for the board, so we will drop a table in the show notes of what the allergy and immunology specialty defines as anaphylaxis. Instead of talking about these criteria, let's talk about what would actually trigger us to think about the disease in the emergency department. All right, fair enough. So what I'm really looking for in the emergency department is any compromise to airway, breathing, or circulation in the setting of a potential allergen exposure. Often we'll see this as strider and hives or hypotension and hives. And the reason we want to focus on those compromises of airway, breathing, and circulation is because this is what's going to trigger us for the first-line therapy, which is epinephrine epinephrine ding 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 winner winner chicken dinner epinephrine (laughs) or adrenaline is the most important medication in anaphylaxis in fact it is the only medication that you need to know in anaphylaxis if you don't use this early the patient's going to have sort of a bad outcome now when you look at allergic reactions there's clearly a spectrum from i've got a little hives to i'm hypotensive and my airway is swelling and closing which of course the patient's not going to be able to say to you For the hives, I don't think it much matters what you give them. They're probably going to resolve on their own. You want to give them a little diphenhydramine. If they're really bad, you want to put them on a course of steroids. Sure, go for it. Knock yourself out. But the management that we need to be focused on is the true anaphylaxis, the one where epinephrine is going to be life-saving. Epinephrine is an inotrope and a vasopressor with beta 1, 2, and alpha activity. 
administration will reverse bronchospasm, relieve upper airway swelling, and tighten up the arteries, leading to better blood pressure and perfusion. Epi is what's going to take care of all of those life-threatening consequences in anaphylaxis, so you've got to be giving it. The standard dose here is 300 to 500 micrograms IM. Don't get too caught up in the concentration mumbo-jumbo, which I see from time to time with epinephrine. The way we talk about epi is sort of archaic. Instead of bothering with the concentrations, just remember the dose and you'll be fine. 300 to 500 micrograms IM. If you ask for that dose, everyone's going to know what you're talking about. Now, Jenny, you said to give it IM. I said to give it IM. Why not sub-Q? So there's some limited studies showing that IM epi delivered to the thigh is more effective than sub-Q epi administered to the upper arm. This probably has to do with absorption into the circulation. Everything I've seen recommends IM to the thigh, so that's what I do. I couldn't agree more. And go ahead and get yourself a big needle so you can put this thing right through the patient's jeans or pants. You don't want to be stalling in life-threatening anaphylaxis to remove the patient's clothing. Swami, why not just give the patient IV epinephrine in anaphylaxis? Well, you absolutely can, but you need to be careful here. We generally teach people to focus on IM epinephrine because it works in the vast majority of cases, it works quickly, and there's less chance for harm. One of the dangers with going with IV epi is that people are mucking around trying to get access while the patient's dying. Just give them the IM epi and then establish your access. The bigger cause for concern in my mind is that someone may deliver the IM dose of epi IV. So the patient gets 500 micrograms of epinephrine through an IV, and that can cause some pretty major problems in patients who are alive, things like coronary ischemia and lethal tachydysrhythmias. Well, that doesn't sound good, but I know I've seen you use IV epi in the past. Yeah, I do use it. And I think, again, you just have to be careful with the way you do it. So if the patient comes in with an IV in place, either from EMS or they developed anaphylaxis while they were in, their de in your department, so they already had an IV, why not use it? As long as you understand the dosing. I've also had some patients who were refractory to IM epi, but improved rapidly with IV epinephrine. Again, this may be an issue of absorption in a state of poor perfusion. For sure, you're going to have to start an IV epi drip in patients who fail the IM dose. If they continue to exhibit anaphylaxis despite your IM epi, go ahead and get epi going through the IV. Okay, so how do we do that if we need to? The key, again, is going to be dosing here. You don't need to give too much epinephrine IV to have marked effects on anaphylaxis reversal. I'm typically starting with something around 5 to 10 micrograms IV as an infusion. I mix this up really simply by putting a milligram of epinephrine into a 1 liter bag of normal saline. That gives you a solution of 1 microgram per ml. I like this easy math because when you're stressed, your math skills deteriorate rather quickly. This bag can go on an infusion pump at 5 to 10 mics per minute, and that can be done much more rapidly than waiting for your pharmacy to mix it up and get you a drip. I love this approach. When, you, when you've actually got a truly dying patient in front of you, it's great to use. But I just want to caution everyone out there to make sure that you've discussed this clearly with your entire team and that you've clearly marked the bag so that everyone knows what's in it. Here's where your pocket Sharpie comes in handy. Make <laughs> sure you write on the bag. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, this can get confused pretty easily because you know that it's a bag of normal saline with epinephrine in it, but then the patient recovers and somebody gives that whole bag of fluid to someone as a bolus and now you run into troubles. What about the other medications we are typically using in allergic reactions, the diphenhydramine and the steroids? So in true anaphylaxis, these medications really don't play much of a role. They may be useful in the minor allergic reactions, but they're unlikely to help our really sick patient. 
diphenhydramine is a histamine blocker, and so it acts by blocking the peripheral effects of histamine that was released during the mast cell degranulation. The problem is that there's so much histamine running around that your diphenhydramine is unlikely to be very effective, and it's definitely not going to counteract the severe symptoms. It's a similar case with the steroids. I think they play a minimal role in the acute phase of anaphylaxis. Steroids stabilize mast cells from degranulating, which is sort of like closing the barn door after the horse is already out. The mast cells have already degranulated. There's nothing to stabilize at that point. The steroid seems to be more for preventing the recurrent or biphasic reactions. Ah, the dreaded biphasic reaction. Historically, we were told that the rate of biphasic reactions was in the 3 to 20% range, but I, a recent article in Annals showed that the rate of serious biphasic reactions was probably closer to 0.18%, really, really low. We'll drop a full review of that article in the show notes. When we look specifically at the role of reducing the reaction using steroids, again, we're left with a bit of a disappointment. Not a ton of literature on the topic, but an article by the same group that looked at the rate of biphasic reactions found no association between steroids and decreased relapse rates at seven days. Now, all that being said, once you've delivered your epi and the patient's improved, we're likely going to give them steroids to go home on because the evidence here is pretty weak saying it doesn't work and the harms are fairly minimal. As far as disposition, this is a little tricky. If the patient continues to have symptoms after delivery of IM epi, I'd probably admit the patient to a high level of care for continued monitoring. If I need to give them IV epi, clearly they're going to get admitted for further monitoring. The hard part is that they get a single dose of IM epinephrine in the ED and all of their symptoms resolve. Or what if the patient gave themselves an EpiPen before they even got to you and all their symptoms resolved? Classic teaching is to watch the patient for six hours after complete symptom resolution to make sure they don't have a biphasic reaction. Since the best evidence shows that a significant biphasic reaction is really rare, about 0.18%, I'm not sure those standard recommendations to keep them there for six hours really make sense. Now, on top of the fact that the biphasic reactions are so rare, they also can happen up to days out. So you really can't ensure that the patient's not going to have the rare biphasic reaction simply by watching them for six hours. If the patient has complete resolution with a single IM epidose, they're close to a hospital, and I can get them an EpiPen to go home with, and they're comfortable using it, I may only watch the patient for another hour or two and send them home. Really, that hour or two is enough time for me to get all their meds in place, arrange all the proper instructions, show them how to use an EpiPen. I got to get all of that taken care of before I even consider sending the patient home. Now, there's a great instructional video on YouTube by the EpiPen makers on how to use it. And we're going to drop a link in the show notes to that because it's something easy to give your patient to show them how to do it. Ensuring the patient goes home with an EpiPen is critical. At least two to three pens should be given so that they always have one no matter where they are. Car, backpack, purse, home, everywhere. Additionally, these patients should be referred to an allergist for allergy testing somewhere down the line, probably pretty soon. All this being said, when in doubt about the patient's symptoms or safety at home, keep the patient longer to observe them. Absolutely right, Jenny. If you're worried about them, keep them a little longer. It's no big deal. All right, let's wrap this podcast up with some big take-home points on anaphylaxis. First, anaphylaxis is a life-threatening emergency, and the treatment is epinephrine, period. Focus on the ABCs. If there's any compromise of the ABCs, go ahead and give the epi. Next, the dose for epi is 300 to 500 micrograms IM to the upper thigh. Ask for it that way. People will know what you're talking about. Third, if the patient continues to have symptoms despite IM epinephrine, you can start an epi drip. 
The easy way to do this is to put one milligram of epinephrine into a one liter bag of saline for a solution that is one microgram of epinephrine per milliliter. You then can easily run this at five to 10 micrograms per minute. And then last, if symptoms completely resolve in the ED, the patient can probably go home as biphasic reactions are actually really pretty rare. Make sure to discharge the patient with EpiPens and good teaching on how to use it and have them follow up with an allergy specialist. That last point is really critical. They do need to follow up with an allergy specialist because when they have severe reactions, it's very likely that specialist is going to figure out what the reaction was to so the patient can avoid it. All right, that's all for the Core EM podcast this week. Come on over and check out the site at coreem.net. We've got a ton of great core content emergency medicine. We'll have a core post up this Wednesday and a journal update up on Thursday. Visit us on Facebook and like us if you like the site. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at core underscore EM. And make sure to go over to iTunes and drop us a review. Thanks and see you all next week.